This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. another episode of EMP Industry Insider Podcast, where we look at what is changing in the industry and we take it to the front lines to those that are driving those changes. As always, my name is Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Home Services, as well as Triangle Pest with Triangle Lawn. Also the CEO of Comarch, which offers digital marketing and sales services for the pest and lawn industries. As with me, always, after a technology uh, tour that we did this morning before we started recording, Dan, would you like to introduce yourself, say good morning, and introduce our topics? Absolutely. It's a good thing that I'm so technologically savvy, so I was able to connect uh, a microphone and headphones to, to make this happen this morning, so I'm really glad to be with you. Um, hang on, hang on. Anyway, just, just for our audience, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Dan, Dan has figured out Bluetooth, and he was he was able to connect via Bluetooth, so he's very proud of himself this morning, which we're all going to give him a high five. Good job. Yeah. And, hey, listen, man, I think this Internet thing's going to catch on. I'm telling you. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, just for anybody who is listening, wants to know how dedicated we are. I'm looking out my window. It is the morning, but it's still dark. We have to do this <laughs> very early in the morning. And so there's two things that I've done this morning. One is made my cup of coffee and two, taken the dog out. So now I am ready to jump in. And uh, so today is going to be kind of uh, interesting. It's a, it's um, uh, just a, you know, we get uh, questions uh, emailed to us. Uh, it's not just hate mail that comes in, but we do get, uh, we do get questions. And um, so uh, uh, there, there's four really good questions that we thought we would address. Actually, five. The first one is, is Donnie really a tax cheat? Um, and, uh, <laughs> Can I just say? I'll, I'll un, let him answer un, that. Un, un, unequivocally, no. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, uh, yeah. All right. So we got the well, first one out of the way. Yes, we get. And, and just to bring that back around, you know, for for our listeners, so you know, I love doing this podcast and it's a lot of fun. And we do get people who go to pmpindustryinsider.com and they will submit questions. And we do a content calendar and we typically are pretty, um, pretty disciplined about sticking with that. But, but, you know, we wanted, we thought it'd be a good idea just to do an episode where we address some of these questions that we see. And so some are more common than others. And so we we picked out what we thought to be uh, the most common questions that we get, we will talk about them, pontificate upon them, and then uh, add maybe some some thoughts as to you know what we've seen. And then obviously, you know, from that, I, I always put this disclaimer out, but some of these questions involve pay. And I will tell you, this is you need to find your own Gene C right or whomever it is. You know, take what we say, it's very general. Um but, you know, there's going to be, I know up in the Northeast, they have very different pay laws than what they have in the Southeast. And so you may hear me say something that Dan may not agree with. Obviously, he's in the Northeast. I'm in the Southeast. But I would say it's always best to check with someone that knows your state before you start um, making changes in that arena. So with that. So this is true uh, about the Northeast and the Southeast, but California is a totally different animal. So. <laughs> it's another country. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
not that listen i have a lot of friends in california and i love the state it's a terrific place to visit so uh nothing nothing against california although they're no. paying the, the the pay rules are a little bit different than than the rest of the country but uh with yeah. that let's uh let's get into it so the first question is on technician pay so that was why the disclaimer and i would also tell you if it's not gene c right or somebody like that that you should talk to a labor attorney uh because we're yeah. not giving legal advice so um the first we're question not. is kind of a a, a a easy one to to ask but not such an easy one to answer. So the question is, what's best, hourly versus commission? Um, and what is the uh, predominant pace uh, system in the industry? And um, you know, what's our take on it? I will let you go first as a big operator of Pest and Lawn. Um, oh boy. Many, many employees. Here we go. Here we go. Well, let's, let's talk generalities first and then let's then I'll tell you my take on it. So if if I were to bet, and by the way, I don't even know if there's any stats out in the in the industry that that track this or not. But if I were a betting man and I were sitting at the table in Vegas, which by the way I, I do often, in case you're wondering, I, I go to Vegas quite a bit and I love gambling. No, um, I would put my chips on the majority. The taxes on the winnings or no? <laughs> <laughs> so. I would say that the majority of people pay commission. Now, where that gets very tricky, and, and I would say, I say the majority, I'm talking about the majority of technicians. I mean, if you look at some of the larger companies, um, I will, will not name names, but very, very large companies, the vast majority of them pay commission. Um, Dan and I used to have this big argument about the 7i exemption, and oh, Lord knows, I do not want to get into that this morning, but. We would have a debate about this, but I would say, in general, the you know what is best. Um, if you can do commission, I'm actually a fan of commission. I'm a fan of commission for a number of reasons. Number one is that it puts everyone on the same side of the table, and so if a technician goes out and there's something that's not priced properly, you know he or she is going to say, "Hey, look, I'm not getting paid well for this stop," and then they're going to help you identify. Um, they're going to help you identify, um, you know, unprofitable accounts, accounts that that should be priced differently. The other side of commission, okay, so that's kind of the front side, is that you get help. That's one of the things I like about commission. The other thing is, is that, you know, it it makes it so that your technicians are motivated to do production efficiently and quickly, and so it puts you and your technician, he or she doesn't matter on the same side of the table, right? At the end of the day, the way money's made in this industry is, you know, having tight, efficient routes that, you know, your, your revenue per stop, dollars per hour, however it is that you want to look at it, is really, really high. And the way that you do that is you eliminate as much as possible windshield time and you maximize the dollars that you hit when you do the stop. Now, I've talked about this in previous podcasts where I sold my entire commercial division early on in, in Triangle's history mainly because I had sold a bunch of crap accounts, like, you know, $35, $45. And I realized like there were, I was never going to get the dollars per hour up on those accounts. And so I just decided to sell it completely. But so that's the positive of commission. Now, let me just tell you the negative. Um, the negative, and this is all Donnie's view here, is it is very possible. Well, number one, 
anytime you do a price increase, your technicians automatically get a pay increase, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but you have to understand that's that's one of the things that come along with it, which again, I like that, but you just need to be aware of that because in some cases it can get a little bit um, uneven. The other thing I will say about commission is that in some cases, I've had this happen, we've had technicians who got super efficient. And when I say super efficient, I mean like super duper efficient. Like the stop took every bit of the time it took to drop out of the front of the house. Let <laughs> 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 me tell you, man, they were killing it. <laughs> and uh, that, 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 has, that has not happened very often. By the way, in case think, anybody uh, is interested, that is the argument against. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so I will tell you that has happened a few times and depending on the person you know um, you know it could turn into a place where it, all the incentive is on speed and not on quality and so you really have to have a you, you've got to be good with checklist you've got to have good procedures in place and you really need to have inspections going on to make sure that what you are paying your technician to do is actually what's happening out in the field. And so, you know, when it comes to commission, um, it's one of those things where if it's managed properly, I think it is probably, in my opinion, the best pay, the best pay system for technicians. But there are caveats too, right? And, and the caveats are, we do a lot of training at Triangle. Well, the technician's argument is, well, we're not getting paid to do training. So we do what's called a hybrid, which is where we pay them an hourly rate when they're in training or when they're at the office. Um, and then once they go to a route, you know, now they're on commission. And we did that for a number of reasons. Number one is, by the way, I'll say when we were really, really small, we didn't do that. We just said, suck it up, buttercup, you're, you're getting paid well. This is just part of your job. Um, but now we we have switched to hourly. And, and we did that, number one, is because we don't want to we don't want to have we don't want to require people to come to work and not pay them but two it just kind of squelches that um complaint well you know i have to come in and i'm not getting paid and so so all of that said let me tell you one more thing here and then i'll i know i'm talking a lot here about commission um one other thing that you got to be very careful with on commission and that is price increases and service changes you know no one ever wants to hear hey, my commission rate is going from 20% to 13%. But if you implement triangle service, which I'm a huge fan of, that's all we do. Um, if you implement some, some sort of service where you're cutting out a stop and, and now all of a sudden your revenue per stop goes way up, I'm not talking about 5% increases or 10% increases here. I'm talking about you know, north of 15 or 20. In those cases, you're going to have to adjust your commission rates. And let me just tell you, you want to get like boss of the year award, go and tell your technicians that, hey, I'm going to run your commission from 12 to, I'm sorry, from, from 20 down to 12 and just see how many cakes you get. <laughs> Birthday cards, <laughs> you know, but it, but it is absolutely essential because if you don't, you'll have technicians making 80 to 100 grand a year, which I know in some parts of the country that may not be too far off the realm, but I can tell you where I'm at, that's, that is way too high. And so, so that's the arguments for and against commission. Now, I will also tell you there have been times where I have said, you know, I wish we just paid our technicians hourly. It would be so much easier. And what I mean by that is that you better make damn sure that your CRM 
is very good at calculating commissions and that people can see down to the stop exactly how their pay is created because um and we had this issue i'm not going to name names i'm certainly not going to claim crms but we had an issue where our crm wasn't quite configured properly and there was questions about commissions and we couldn't tie it all the way back and so all i will say is just make sure your crm is set up properly make sure before you do anything if you're not on commission if that's the way that you want to go um make sure that you you run it and test for a long time before you actually um flip it over to be a to be a pay system but when we're in the middle of that fun and when i talk about fun i mean like you know i'd rather drill screws through my toenails kind of fun we're in the middle of that commission issue that we had i kept thinking to myself my gosh this will be so much easier if we were just on hourly now things i don't like about hourly not much incentive to be efficient not much incentive i mean the incentives for hourly is we're you know i, I don't I hate to say this because it sounds like I'm totally negative and I don't want to be that way, but I will say that you don't have quite the same incentives in an hourly structure that you do in a commission structure. And, you know, the flip side of it is, as a technician is going to get paid, you can control your labor costs much, much better because you know, you know, you can change pricing, you can make a lot more money, potentially off payroll, you can keep your payroll costs down. The flip side of it is, is that your technician may take twice as long to do a stop that they don't necessarily need because they're not in a hurry. They're getting paid by the hour. So that was a lot of talking. Dan, feel free. Now I'm sure Dan so, is going to come yeah, up. So He's going to disagree with a few things, but that's okay. Not not disagreeing at all. Uh, but what I would say is check with your state. So there's an exemption called 7I under the Fair Labor Standards Act, which allows you to pay or residential pest control technicians fall under this um, meaning that you can pay commission right and some states actually preempt that new york new jersey california and there's a bunch of others right and so what that hang on, means well we'll define preemption so that other folks in our in our audience they so, don't know what that means anyway. yeah. so meaning that the state law um is the governing law not the federal law because it's more yeah, strict it overrides okay. exactly it overrides. yeah the state overrides right? it yeah so so now can you still do what donnie's talking about i would argue that you could and um i believe that it's probably maybe a little bit better because what you do is you do a hybrid and the reason that you do that is um you get all the benefits that donnie's uh, talking about but one of the things that is really important to understand is if you're full commission, like Donnie's talking about, that doesn't absolve you from keeping time records because there are minimum wage laws, there are um, you know, overtime laws, those things, even in states that accept 7i. So by paying somebody minimum wage or 10 or $12 an hour plus overtime, you're good and then you can add that commission. However, when you add commission, there's something called special overtime. And it's kind of a interesting calculation, but, but um, it, it, it basically, if, if I pay somebody $10 an hour, they earn $400 a week. If I pay them at 40 hours, if I pay them $10 an hour, and they work 50 hours, then they're gonna make 550, right? So there's, 
$40 uh, uh, or $400 at straight time and 150 at overtime, right? So you're paying time and a half for those extra 10 hours. Now, let's say that I am going to give a $100 commission or production bonus or however you want to define it. For 40 hours, that would be $250 an hour. And so he's not really making $10 an hour, he's making $12.50 an hour, right? But let's say I give that same guy the $100 uh, bonus or, or commission, as you say, uh, but it's over uh, 50 hours. Well, that's actually $2 an hour, so you're making $12 an hour, okay? And so on that uh, extra um, 10 hours, he actually makes, um, uh, $18 an hour because that's time and a half, not, you can't just uh, say he gets $100. Okay. So what does that actually do? It actually adds this component called special overtime. And as long as you're uh, calculating that, you should be okay. Um, and that's why I kind of like the, the hybrid method, even in states that accept total commission, because it forces you to keep those hours and your technician agrees to the hours that you've worked by accepting his paycheck and or signing his time card or however you do it. The reason that that's important is because if you get a DOL audit, it's your word against his if you don't have these time records, right? That's a, hang on, that's, that's a great point and, and something that no matter what structure you decide to go with, you should always track time, period. I mean, it's just, you should always have people logging time. And I tried my best not to go to the seven I thing, and you went there anyway, Dan. <laughs> well, it's really important because a lot of people think that if you just pay straight commission, I'm good, right? You know, I don't have to keep time records. It totally makes sense if if that's the way it worked. But you do have to keep time records because there's other things at work here besides just the um, you know the commission. There's minimum wage. There's overtime. There's that kind of thing, and so you do have to keep those records. Yep, 100%. The other thing um, I was going to mention, since, since we're on this topic of, of technician pay, is just be aware that commission structures do get complicated. There's sales commissions, there's production commissions. And, and I mentioned this before, but just make sure that your data systems are well set up. Now, I'm, and, and most of the popular CRMs, they've got this thing licked, right? I mean, it's it's so common that most people or, you know, most people are paying this way. And so it's not like it's a, a new thing, but I would just validate it, make the data accessible, make it so that your technicians can see exactly how each stop gets paid, how their paycheck is structured and how they got paid. And I think that's a, I think that's probably the best, best way of going. So I don't and, and I also know that, think that there's another, there's another thing here that without getting too technical, but we work on these all the time is DOL audits, right? A Department of Labor audit is worse than any kind of tax audit because in a tax audit, it's you against the government. In a DOL audit, you have the government representing your employees and they interview your employees. And so these employees can say whatever they want. So let's say you're docking somebody for lunch. Well, if it's that person's in the office or on the road, are they signing in and signing out? If you're requiring somebody to sit at their desk, answer the phone and eat a sandwich, they're not logged out. And oh, by the way, what happens in these DOL audits is that, um, you know, they ask, well, did, did, 
you know, were you uh, on the job or, you know, did they just dock you a half hour or whatever? And if the answer is yes, then they're going to add those hours back and those hours can accumulate. And we actually have a, a client who uh, has averted a, a class action lawsuit and settled for hundreds of thousands of dollars um, because they, you know, skirted uh, um, some of these rules. So it's really important that you look at this. And again, going back to what Donnie and I talked about, um, we're not attorneys, we're not HR specialists. So talk to somebody like Gene Seawright, talk to somebody like a labor attorney and make sure that you have it right. Because if you, a DOL audit can really sink a company if it's if 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 it, it gets really ugly. And so, yeah. you know, that, that's one of the things that I would caution. Yeah. And if you're if your people are upset at you, they're going to totally not bend reality whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, my experience is it's not the guy who hates you who files a DOL lawsuit. It's the guy you love who's your buddy who feels like he was wronged by something that, you know, that you've done. And that a, a lot of times and, that, you know, that that kind of goes to the core and really hurts. But but that's a lot of times who it is. So, yeah, I think the, the main takeaway on this question of technician pay is that it's complicated. Uh, it can be complicated, but don't don't make it too complicated. Get some people involved. Make sure that you're you're lined up. But again, I am a fan of commission. I think I always will be a fan of commission. You know, there's tons like tons of payroll systems out there that have apps that you can track your time. You know, I don't know if you're using paychecks or ADP or whatever, but all of them have apps that your technicians can have on their phone. They can log in and log out to yeah. track their time. And it's all automated. So this is not rocket science, but in general, hourly versus commission. I'm a fan of commission plus hourly for non-commissionable time, meaning training or if they got to come into the office or whatever. So, okay, next topic. Now, this one, I'm going to let you lead off on, Dan. This one is, so our first question was, what's the best way to pay technicians hourly or commission? The next one is scheduling and how, you know, I think we could spend a whole episode on this, but what's the best way of scheduling uh, and what are some tips and tricks that you that we use or have used or have seen um, that makes that easier? So you want to start and then I can I mean, I have a lot yeah. of thoughts on this one, but now yeah. I'll start. And I think that this is a great topic. And what's kind of interesting is as we. You know, we take on new clients who are doing residential monthlies and we tell them to go to quarterlies or as you uh, like to talk about three times a year. What it does is it, you know, if, if you've got a whole company that all you're doing is quarterlies or all you're doing is three times a year, it makes scheduling very easy because every customer looks like every other customer. So you just kind of lasso a town and, and that's the, uh, the, the, uh, the group of customers that you do. But when you were doing monthly, you could say, well, I'm going to be over on the first Monday of every month in the morning and the customer would remember. And now you're going to say, well, every fourth month or, or third month or fourth month, I'm going to be over on the first uh, Monday of every month and they might not remember. So I would ask you, Donnie, how do you deal with that? Um, you know, yeah. uh, or, you know. So one of the things that you'll see. Um, and, and by the way, some of my information here is a bit dated, but it's still, I mean, it still is a feature. And I think it's probably a feature in all the CRMs. But back in the day when I used to use VRM and I, I was the one who was scheduling, 
you know, you have service schedules and then you have services. So like a service setup has a service schedule and it would be like the third week of the third month or the third week of the fourth month or whatever that schedule is. And so whenever you'd go out and route, you know, the thing that we would do is we would do what's called leveling every quarter. And so what that means is, is that as we were putting on accounts, because there's a whole lot happening, right? There's can accounts canceling, there's accounts that are, you're selling, um, there's, you know, there, there's, you know, route that are changing, you know, your routes are changing, you're growing your routes, you know, you're going to have to move technicians. And so this is just something it's, it's like chasing the horizon, right? You're never going to, I mean, is there ever a perfect schedule? Maybe, I don't know, but, but long story short, coming back to your question, Dan, when you schedule, um, there was a feature in VRM that I really, really liked, which was where you could save it so that it also resets the service schedule. And so what that would do is that when you would generate again, you know, three months, four months later for that area, now these stops would be all routed together and it made it a lot less work for you to have to route. Um, and so over time, what would happen is, is during the winter when we were not selling a whole lot, our routes would get super, 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 super tight. And they would be way, I mean, it would take literally an hour to route the entire company, if that. And that was just, you know, double checking things. When we got into the summer, it would get a little bit more complicated. But, you know, again, in, in North Carolina, you know, you really have like four to five heavy months. And then, you know, so it's one cycle. And then after that, you're kind of back into the spring and fall. And it's not quite as crazy. And so, so here's what I would say in terms of scheduling. Number one, you, you need to make sure that this is where you make money in your business. So you need to be dialed in. You need to understand how it's happening and you need to manage it. That, that's number one, because this can make or break you. Number two <clears throat> is, you know, we schedule a month out. So we'll generate, you know, and then we'll schedule the entire month. Then we, and we optimize for the month. Then we optimize for the week. Then we optimize for the next day. And the reason we do that is because of new starts and callbacks. And so, there are things that you can do. This is something I learned really just in the last year that we, we used to do on the hour and we still will do that in certain cases, but on the hour confirmed times. Now we will do it an hour plus or an hour minus. So if someone says, Hey, I need eight o'clock. We'll say, we'll be there an hour prior or an hour after eight. We'll give them a two hour window. That's one thing that you can do to, to help your scheduling. But the other part is, you know, we do same day service and that's a, let me just tell you, that's such a fun thing to do. It's, it's gotten way better over the years. We, we've learned how to pull this off, but we don't, we prioritize. And one of the, one of the questions that came out of this, we're, and we have a whole list of questions that come around scheduling. And, and one of the questions was, how do I prioritize new versus existing clients? The answer to that question is I prioritize all of them. So and what I mean by that is I'm not going to take a current customer that calls in and tell them I'm going to get to them two weeks later. If they need service today, we're going to treat them just like, um, you know, we're going to treat them just like someone new who doesn't have service with us. And so we do same day service for all clients, um, mainly because not to say that that's what we lead off with. We're going to say, hey, look, we're going to be in your area two days from now around nine o'clock. Does that work? You know, we're in the morning. Will that work? That's where we start. But they're like, we got to have someone today. They all get priority. Um, but I guess my whole point here is, is that scheduling <clears throat> is part art mostly science but mostly art <laughs> you will you want to make sure that it's one of those things that you're consistently updating your service schedule so that to schedule so that when you do generate you generate your work orders for the month 
they're already kind of pre-done. Um, it takes a lot of workload off of your scheduler. If you have one, if it's you, then it takes a lot of workload off of you. Um, you know, and in terms of best practices, what I would say in terms of scheduling is schedule less than you think you need in the summer and in the winter schedule more than you think you can do because that's it. I mean, if you are seasonal, if you're not, you need to create holes, but we, we in every single, on every single tech, every single day in the summer, we build in one and two hour windows. We do not fill them up and we have to do that in order to execute same day service. Uh, we've done things like we've had new start techs, we've had floaters, you know, yada, yada, yada. We've, we've done all that. But that to me, that model of building in the hour or building in the, the two hour window where there's not anything scheduled works very, very well. So I know I was all over the place on answering that question, but it's just the, the big thing with scheduling in my mind is that you need to, you need to, you need to, you need to schedule once a month, meaning you need to optimize once a month. You need to optimize once a week. And you need to optimize the day prior. I am a firm believer in that. And you need to make sure that when you're optimizing each month, that you are also resetting service schedules so that when the when the work orders generate again, the next cycle, they're already pre-routed. You don't need to, you, I mean, you'll still have to mess around with it and clean it up a bit, but it's a lot less work. So, so you guys do biannual, which is every four months. Tell me about notification. Yep. Do you notify every customer as to when they're coming or do you do outside only and how, how does that work yeah so we do outside only um and we do notify customers that it's we're going to be there sometime within the week or this week but here's what i've learned i used to do notifications for every customer here's what i've learned unless they have a dog or a gate most of them don't care and it it ends up creating a lot more work than you need it to now the way it works is is if we don't notify other than this is their month and then the notifications after that you know and a technician will know that if they have a dog of course they're going to notify them and if they have um a gate and we need to get in or something so then we need to notify them but i would say in general i kind of view this like i do credit card on file which is i want to leave them alone i don't really want to talk to them right i mean you know, and we do outside only service. If I was doing inside, obviously we'd have to make some sort of, you know, we, anytime we do inside service, we got to notify the client, we got to notify the customer. But, but I would say in general, unless you're going to do a house that has, you know, and again, I say house, we're residential only. So that's my big disclaimer there. Obviously commercial is a whole different ball of wax. And, and I know a lot of places they don't notify there for commercial either, but I can't speak to that. Um, we don't notify unless there's a gate or a pet. Otherwise we don't really say anything at all which is a change right we used to notify everyone which actually there's a really funny story that years ago there was uh this is back before uh this is way way early this is back in 2008 i had this software that would automatically call which you know now <laughs> crms have figured this out but back in the day they didn't and so it would go through and you could upload a spreadsheet and it would do automated phone calls and oh Yes, you know where this goes. You know where the story goes. I had a CSR who, for some reason, just kept getting viruses on her computer. And so I had to reset her computer, redo oh. it. Yes, and I put the software back because the software ran off of her computer. And um, yeah, one night, man, I'm sleeping and the phone rings at like 3.30 a.m. And I thought, well, that was weird. I didn't pick it up. And I, I get up the next morning and to my horror, it was a service notification from Triangle 
that had called me at 3.30 in the morning. And we had called 200 some customers in the middle of the night because the AM and PM was off. <laughs> so it started at 1 AM and ran until 5 AM. So we had some interesting I, uh, callbacks. I thought you were going somewhere different. I thought that she was on porn sites no. or something. No, I don't know how she got all the viruses, but but she managed to get them. I mean, I did that like three times and then finally I just locked it down. I was like, my gosh. So yeah. anyway. So just uh, 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 okay. So you're you're only notifying. So when you said you notify people of the month, do you actually send them something prior to the month, or how, how do you do that? And also, you are outside only. But what if I need somebody inside? How do, how does that work? Yeah, those are those are the notifications. And so you know, typically we you know at the beginning of the month we'll just send out a, a general disclaimer for everyone. Hey, you're you know we'll be completing your service this month. Um, and there's a little disclaimer there. It says if you need inside service, you know, feel free to call in. Um, I that's how that so works. Email, it's not, through texting, through yeah. It, 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 well, I will tell you this: we are a heavy email company. I'm right in the middle of transitioning. I am so done with email, and I'm, I want us to be 100% texting. You know, we did that episode with Anne Marie and Tiffany, and I came away from that episode thinking I've got to change. You know. When I first got into business, people couldn't believe that I required email addresses. They're like, man, and people give you your email address? And they're an email. I'm like, yeah, they do. And we went to just all emails. Well, now what's happening is, is that email is kind of like the new, you know, the old phone. No one, no one responds, no one reads it. But texting is very much in terms of response. So that's what we're using now. Um, we're not completely there yet. We're kind of in the middle of it, but I want to be 100% texting by the end of Q1 2023. So exclusively, I mean, unless the customer says, you know, we can flag the account if it's a phone or, you know, whatever it is that they prefer, but we're defaulting almost everyone to text now. So, and we're requiring mobile numbers too. That's a change that we did in the office after that episode is that we asked them, we don't ask them for their home phone. We don't ask, we just say, what's your mobile? And it's a required field. It's kind of strange, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's enough to chew on. Let's go to the next question, which is, office pay how do you pay your csrs uh, which kind of the same question as we had with the technicians commission hourly both hybrid yeah so let's so let's talk about this i would say this question probably depends on the size of your company um you know early on when we were really small i mean everyone in the office had to do everything you know we there was no such thing as a CSR versus inside sales. And we've done several structures over the years where we've had an inside sales team only. We've had CSRs only. We've had them as a hybrid role. Um, I, I can't tell you that I prefer one over the, over the other. I used to think that having an inside sales team was the best thing in the world. Um, there are drawbacks to that as well. But I would say in general, the structure that we use now is we do have what we call inbound. We have an inbound team, we have an outbound team, and then we have an admin team. And so it's a little different. The vernacular is a little different, but you know, we our outbound team, the only thing they do is they call current clients, cancel clients. Uh, I mean, they're they're basically callers and, and they text as well. Um, and they're paid solely on commission on what they sell. They're, they're basically salespeople, outside salespeople, but they're, you know, we, call them inside sales, but they, you know, all they do is outbound calls. And I love that department. That's something we added probably about five years ago. 
and we've had some years that they've killed it and some years that they've not and and, and that's all on us meaning our fault you pay them an hourly rate plus commission right we do uh, but it's really really low it's like you know it's like sure. minimum wage. But the reason that i mentioned that is this whole outside seven i outside sales exemption one of the requirements is that people are outside of the office if right. you're inside the office and there's a whole list of things that make you exempt versus non-exempt employees but essentially your csrs for the most part are non-exempt enough to be paid hourly plus overtime that doesn't mean you can't pay them a commission but they are required to get that uh, hourly rate so yeah thanks for clarifying that i, I should have said that up front so so the other part i would say is you know going back to how you know what what your size is you know if you can afford to split those two activities off sales and and admin see if it works for you we, we did it for a number of years and it worked well but then we just the problem that i have found when you split out like that is efficiency now i will tell you our business is you know we're, we're north of 10 million now and i still am concerned about efficiency when i split those roles out um now my admin team they are only admin we had more than enough work for them but you know when you're smaller i'd say you're you know under five million you, you kind of have to have you know swiss army knife folks in the office folks that can do a little bit of all of it now you can prioritize your call queues and you know you can have an inside sales team and they back up the csrs and you got an admin team or csrs and the inside sales and outside sales back them up but i would say in general when it comes to office pay if someone's primary role is sales there, a lot of their pay should be much like the technicians. It should be based on commission and their commission rates based on what they sell. I'm a fan of paying um, as we collect. So we do, um, and again, if you listen to the podcast, you already know this. We, our, our signature service is triangle with uh, monthly billing. We pay on collection and we pay throughout the year. And the reason that we do that is that there are no chargebacks. It's super, super simple. Um, and, you know, if we don't get paid, they don't get paid. We're all on them. You know, we're all on the same page of, hey, we're trying to. I mean, because again, I don't like one of the things I don't like about commission structures, especially chargebacks, is it gets complicated. I want to keep it simple. So that's how we do commission. We also pay commission to our CSR admin team, but they're, you know, when you look at their pay, it's heavily weighted on hourly, and the commission is kind of a bonus per se, mainly because they're not going to have as much time and opportunity on the phone, and so in all cases what i would do is i would i would audit that position here is what this position is you know this is what the marketplace is paying for this position so this is about the you know the the amount i want this person to make bump it up 10 to 15 percent and then from that add a commission structure so that your your folks have an incentive they can earn well more than what the market is paying based on performance but they also, you're not going to come to them, you know, when you're interviewing someone and saying, well, yeah, you're going to make, you know, eight bucks an hour. And they're going to be like, no, oh, no, no, thanks. There's <laughs> so always trying to find that. That's, it. that's another, I get this question all the time. Since you do that kind of hybrid with that inside sales, do you target a uh, percentage? So in other words, if, if a, if a inside salesperson, you know, at the end of the year, their W2 says $50,000, how much did they sell? Do you kind of target and say, well, they should have sold $250,000, so therefore it's 20% or, you know, uh, to, like, what, what do you target? 
Yeah, so we have um, yes and no. It, it, it's hard to do this because, you know, generally speaking, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give a number, and let me tell you why I'm not gonna give a number. It's because um, it's all dependent on how well you are as an owner in bringing the leads in. You know, when you're when you're talking about inside salespeople, they're not doing outbound, and if you're killing it and you're you're getting a ton of leads into the office, they're gonna sell. You know, um, but likewise, if you give them say, hey, I want you to sell. Let's just say you tell your inside salespeople, I want you to sell half a million this year. I want you to sell a million, which, by the way, both of those are achievable. They're doable um, in, in, in annual value. Unless you got the leads, it doesn't, it's, it's not even a conversation to have. And so the big thing to focus on, I think, with those folks are, is conversion rate. And that we do. We will, you know, the commission will slide based on the conversion rate because that's where that's where they make their money. And so, you know. Isn't, targeting. That, isn't it very difficult to calculate the, like the, the, you know, is this a lead? Is it really not a lead? Uh, you know, I got a, you know, a, a tire kicker, uh, and 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 so in doing that. So let's say you have a, a person who sells a million dollars. What does their W two at the end of the year look like? Uh, well, it's it's going to be heavily commissioned. It's probably going to be in the eighties. Would be my guess. Um, maybe even more depending on what they sold. Um, but, you know, it's not difficult at all to calculate conversion. It's pretty simple. If someone calls in and they're interested in service, the only time it doesn't count as a lead is if we don't service it. Even if they call and say, I don't like care about the price. Well, you know, that, I mean, again, when, when you look, if you're doing things right in the office, the very first thing you do is you take control of the call and you don't allow things like that to happen. And so I would say that I, I don't want to give this the broad stroke. Um, in terms of like, this is how it works because there's a lot sitting under it that you have to have in place. Number one is really good procedures. Number two is really good tracking. And number three, you need to have people actually listening to calls and making sure that what you just said is not happening, right? Someone calls and says, well, how much is it for this? And they say, well, it's that. And, and then hang up and that lead doesn't get, that lead doesn't actually get tagged as a lead. But if you've got call tracking and it's tagged in with your CRM, it's it's pretty difficult for those things to slip through. Uh, if you don't have that, 100% what you just said, Dan, that could totally be happening. People could have conversion rates, you know, north of 80 and 90% <laughs> because they're not tagging anything right. that, right, right. that they didn't necessarily like, well, I didn't really have an opportunity. I will tell you at Triangle, the only thing that doesn't get counted um, as a sales opportunity is if someone calls in and says, hey, we want we want squirrels removed. Well, you know, we we tag it as a lead, but we tag it as a can't service. So it still gets counted in our lead count because we want to know what we're doing, if it's working. But then we'll, you know, at the end of the month, end of the year, we'll look and if, if we're getting a lot of those and we know we got something going on with marketing, that's not necessarily the, the inside salesperson's fault. So. Okay. so we have a few minutes left and one question. So let's go through this one quick. So implementing price increases when you have a credit card on file for recurring accounts. Um, so the question is, I've heard two schools of thoughts on price increases. Notify them that you're going up. Don't notify them and handle them individually. And um, this goes back to checking with your lawyer, <laughs> because if you've got a, uh, a credit card agreement uh, in place um, that uh, says that you'll charge a certain amount and you change that, that's a little different than just automatically doing it and oh by the way 
I am not in any way saying don't, you know, just implement the price increase. My, my, my example is always you go to the supermarket and they raise the price of lettuce. They don't send you a postcard that says that they raise the price of lettuce. So, well, hang on. Your, I think thought. I was going to say, I think we have to throw out a few disclaimers here. Number one, yes. number one is if you haven't done a price increase by now, that that ship is out of the harbor in my mind. You know, I think people have inflation fatigue. You know, rates are going up. It seems like almost every single month that uh, that this ship has has sailed, right? Uh, maybe not. You know, and 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 certainly there might be some people out there who have the the nerve to do this. But I will tell you, I'm we've done two. You know, net twenty percent is what we've done. I'm feeling very comfortable where we're at. So if you've if you've not done this, probably missed a really good window. In fact, I know you missed a really good window. If you did do it, here's some things to think about. Number one. Dan's 100% correct. If you have current contracts and they're signed contracts, you, you can't touch them. Okay. What your contract should say is that after 12 months, 18 months, whatever, that your price, you know, the price will increase and that you, that they basically are allowing you to, and they are acknowledging that that will happen. We don't notify per se. We keep things on statements that say, hey, you know, like we have. We have statements that go out and, you know, on the invoice or whatever, it'll just say, you know, such next month there will be a, you know, 2%, 5%, whatever increase. But, but the reality of it is, is that you're, this is where your money's made on this is how you write your agreements. You know, your agreements, whenever they're locked in, that's that, but it should absolutely have a section on there that the customer signs off on that says, I understand that price increases will, you know, will happen. And I understand that, you know, I'm, I don't know if we put anything that says that we don't we'll notify them, but generally speaking, we don't. Um, so I would just say, in my mind, the most common is not to notify. You know, you're just asking for a cancel in that case. Hey, oh, by the way, you're going up on the price. Hey, that's a great email or text or, or note to get. Number two is write your agreements in a way that allows you the ability to do that. And this is not a sneaky thing at all. Very, I mean, this is a very common way that people do price increases. Um, I mean, many, many companies, I mean, you think about like, you know, services that you have, you, you know, whether it be entertainment or whatever, they, I mean, they do price increases all the time. And I don't get, I don't get an email saying, hey, this is what's going to happen. Here's what's going on. So I don't, you know, as far as what's most common, I can't speak to that. I know for a triangle, we don't notify, uh, but we also have it written in that, you know, that is going to happen. Once you're, because you know, once it goes, once it goes past twelve months, eighteen months, whatever the contract's for, it's month to month after that, and so that's when it's it's available in our minds for an increase. So most of our clients that that we work with do not notify either. So that's just yeah. a general statement. Um, but um, we're in a nickel dime business, and if you can raise your prices by nickels and dimes you can it all falls to the bottom line so this whole inflation thing this is something new right you got to counter the the price increases of labor material fuel and whatnot but prior to this inflationary period you still want to raise your prices each year just so uh you know to get people used to it it doesn't have to be a big increase but every dime falls to the bottom line so um you know i got one more thing to say about this and I would love to tell you that I'm some really smart business owner, but I'm not. Um, but I will tell you, I'm so grateful that we did this a long time ago. 
if you're not doing monthly billing, this is probably in my mind, well, besides just having cash flow and having your payroll at the beginning of the month, you know, there's so many benefits of doing monthly credit card billing, but, um, you know, the reality of it is, is that it makes price increases so easy and it just reduces the amount of resistance that you get from customers because the amount is so small. Um, so if you've not done that, and I think the majority of folks that I talk to are, are now doing this, um, it's been a trend that's been happening, I think, over the last five years. But if you're not doing that, it's another argument in, in, that makes the case for it is that, you know, you can push price increases. Now, instead of someone seeing a, you know, $10 or $15 increase, they're seeing 2 or $3. And people just don't freak out about that. So how do you do that with bundled services? Let's say you have somebody with your general pest and mosquito. You just wrap it up and and, and that's your monthly price. And yeah, you know, does your software handle that? Because uh, some of the softwares handle it very well and some don't. It does. It does. And we, you know, we have pretty, I mean, Dan, you know this, at Triangle, we have very defined service programs and we don't have that many. And and if I could have it down to one, I would be like Henry Ford, right? You can have black or black. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> um, we have it. We have it down to five, and in that five, they are bundled, and it just it, it's it's another it's no different than if it was just a single service because if we have it branded that way. If that makes sense, it's one service setup. It's not multiple service setups. And if they were, we would do the same thing. It's not a big deal. You know, same Good. same same on that. So. Awesome. All Good right. Deal. Anything else, Dan? You want to chat about? And I, I, I thought for sure we didn't. We were going to have like a, a, a ten or fifteen minute, maybe even twenty minute podcast. I thought these questions are pretty easy, but turns out I got the yap of my yapper, and so it went a lot longer. So yeah, no, it's uh, business as usual. You yap. So uh, that's right. <laughs> so, good deal. Uh, All righty. I do not have well, anything else. So if you want to give the standard sign off, uh, yes, you know, yes, reviews, blah, blah, blah. Yes, yes, yes. Just a reminder that uh, show notes will be up available on pmpindustryinsider.com. You can uh, look at the notes from this podcast or any other podcast that we have recorded. Just go to pmpindustryinsider.com and look under the link called show notes. And as always, we appreciate any tips in the tip jar in the form of a rating or review however it is you listen to podcasts. And with that, we're signing off. We'll see you all next time. Take care now. Thank you. See ya. Bye.